when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Are you looking for a podcast that brings you all the latest news and analysis on the silver and black? Carr from under center, looks downfield, fires deep, complete, Waller's got it. How about interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast, part of the Vegas Sports Today podcast network. Now, your host, Evan Grote. Raider Nation, let's go. Welcome again. It is that time of the week. Just Pod Baby coming at you. I'm Evan Grote. You can find me on Twitter at egrote5. It was a tough week for the Raiders players and coaches especially. Maybe even some fans out there, depending on how you felt towards the now former head coach, John Gruden, as the fallout from... Uh, the emails that were discovered um, in the investigation into the Washington football team uh, as it all continues to unravel here. Uh, Rich Passaccia, he's now the interim head coach of this team. He's been thrown into a very challenging situation, and we did get to hear from him for the first time as the new head coach, along with general manager Mike Mayock and the captains of the team uh, on Wednesday. And I will play some of that audio a little bit later on. Of course, Just Pod Baby is brought to you by VegasSportsToday.com. I have to tell you, uh, our guy Scott Gilbranson has an excellent column that is up on the site right now. It's titled The Gruden Fallout, uh, Raiders Searching for Answers on and Off the Field. If you have not yet read it, do yourself a favor, head over there now, do so. It's the most honest and objective piece on the situation that you're going to find. I'm telling you, I've read a ton of stuff uh, in the last couple of days, and his was the best one, okay? Um, I tweeted it out a little bit earlier, so you can find it there on my Twitter page as well. Please go read it. It's some really, really good stuff there from Scott. And there's also lots of other great coverage available for you over at Vegasports.com. Uh, we do also have a game to discuss this week on the show. Uh, I know that's been you know, kind of lost in much of the news surrounding the Raiders this week, rightfully so, but uh, we are going to preview the matchup with the Broncos, both 3-2 and two right now, and both teams pretty desperate for a win right now following uh, two straight losses after a 3-0 start. We're going to be joined by Broncos insider Troy Rink of ABC News 7 in Denver later in segment two. Uh, but I do want to start off things this week by, you know, obviously... The Gruden uh, stuff is, is going to has totally dominated not only talk surrounding the Raiders but sports talk in general. I mean, it's a national story. Um, it's even on channels that aren't that don't generally cover sports. You're seeing it all over the place. So I do want to just briefly give give some of my thoughts. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Honestly, I, I'd rather talk about uh, you know the game to be honest with you. Um, but you know, it, it's it's been a, a crazy. Last week, I'd say, um, the way things have transpired uh, out there in Henderson. And, and you know, I just want to start off by saying there's there's no way uh, of defending the actions of Gruden, the comments uh, that he made in those emails towards the different groups of people. Um, it, it's extremely disappointing, and, and I do, I feel bad for the people that he, he may have offended with those comments. Um, and really, you know, if, if you listen to, um, Scott and I did a... a uh, live uh, YouTube show um, 
Monday night. And so we were live on air as the news broke. And, and so you may have already kind of heard some of the things that him and I had to say about it. But, you know, I've had a couple more days now to kind of digest what happened. And, you know, I, I'm still left with some of the same emotions. Uh, shock um, is one of them. And then the other one would be disappointment, right? Um, disappointed because, you know, for the most part, you you hear you heard people over the years speak of John Gruden, former players, current players, speak speak very highly of him. Um, you have guys like Tony Dungy, who uh, is a highly respected uh, former coach in the league, Hall of Famer, uh, speak pretty highly of Gruden uh, and their relationship together. I heard Mike Chirico uh, on Sunday Night Football, a guy who. Gruden worked with while at ESPN, I believe it was seven years and, and their relationship together and their relationship that still remains uh, even after Gruden left ESPN. And, you know, you still see uh, some of the current players. I I saw Trayvon Mullen uh, sending out an Instagram message in support of Gruden. So that's the disappointing thing to me is that you, you hear the positive things that have been said about the man, not the coach, but the man that Gruden was or is about his character and the way he treated people. And, you know, then we find out what he was saying in, in his personal emails. And, and it's, it's just shocking really uh, that, that for a man who, who carried himself for all these years uh, in, in the spotlight of a high profile NFL coach, and then a personality who was on TV you know, how, how could he, you know, feel comfortable enough to just toss those types of, of words and, and comments out there so loosely? I, I mean, I know he, he was doing it on his personal email. Um, so he obviously felt that maybe those things would never get out, but, uh, they did. And, uh, it's a major lesson learned, uh, for everyone. And, um, you know, I, look, I, I didn't. I didn't love Gruden. I was not um, a Gruden apologist by any means. Um, I was critical of him uh, over these last three, four years. Um, I do think he helped stabilize the organization, uh, especially the last four years. And I think the progress maybe we would have liked to see be a little faster. We we would have liked to maybe seen a, a playoff appearance. It didn't happen, but. He's also made plenty of mistakes along the way, which I've documented in great detail here on the show as personnel personnel decisions. Um, I've disagreed with many of them. Uh, His misses on early draft picks, the Cleveland Farrell one, um, still can't quite get over that one, Uh, especially now seeing that Farrell's barely touching the field right now. Um, You know, some of the trades that were made over the years, the Antonio Brown move, you know, and then most recently, his his decision to, you know, blow up the offensive line, which uh, we have seen the damage that it, that that's doing right now to this team. I mean, I, we could spend a whole show going through all the the decisions that Gruden made that were questionable. So I, I have no emotional attachment to Gruden. Um, and if they can figure out, you know, I don't really want to start talking about then who the next coach might be, but if they can figure out that situation, get, get a, a nice coach in here, uh, next year, it could actually turn out to be a great thing for the organization going forward. But, but the, all that being said, 
you know, I I have to be honest. I, I I do. Part of me does feel bad for Gruden. Um, and I know some of you out there may be um, upset with me saying that. Um, but you know, I heard some of the things that Derek Carr had to say about Gruden, and um, I know Carr is really big into his faith and, and religion and whatnot. And I'm you know I'm a I'm a somewhat religious guy. I you know I I have faith and, and I, you know, practice, um, maybe not as much as I should, but I, I do attend church. Um, and, and, um, you know, I, I do kind of feel the same way that, you know, where, where does forgiveness come in? I mean, the guy absolutely made a huge mistake and he hurt a lot of people, but there will come a time at some point where we need to forgive him and he is human and, and, um, you know, so so the, so that part of me that feels bad for Gruden, um, but that is no excuse. He he did get what he uh, he got what he deserved. There's no way that he was going to survive this, and, and and so he's gone. And, and now Rich Basashia is in, and I, I think you know we will learn a little bit more um, about what went on. Especially, I'm hoping that the um, NFL will will start to cooperate a little bit more. I, I do think they're hiding some stuff out there, covering up some stuff, protecting their brand, their bottom line, you know, the cash cow. And so I would like to see some more consistency there from the NFL. If you're going to bring down John Gruden for the things that he said, the inappropriate things that he said, the terrible things that he said, that's fine. I, I'm all for that. But let's be consistent. Let's see what else is out there. And if you truly stand for what you say you stand for, then it all needs to be exposed. There needs to be more transparency here with this situation, even if it means hurting their bottom line. I don't think that'll happen, but you know, I, I am seeing a lot of hypocrisy from the NFL right now. I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but those are some of my uh, immediate thoughts about John Gruden. And then secondly, I want to address this whole thing from the perspective of Mark Davis, the owner. I got what I got to say. What the heck is he doing? I mean, here we are, a week removed from the initial report that broke from the Wall Street Journal, with his comments, with Gruden's comments about Demory uh, Smith, and then we had more incriminating emails released on on Monday, and we have still not heard a meaningful comment from the owner of the team. That's a joke to me, a complete joke. That is terrible leadership and for a guy that prides himself in his organization on diversity and social justice and the like to have not yet said a word other than that quick remark he gave to Paul Gutierrez about ask the NFL they have all the answers that's all you have to say as the leader of this team and I know, I know, I understand. I know he's mad right now at the NFL. He feels, you know, there there was some targeting going on against the Raiders. The league is out to get him, out to get the Raiders. And to be honest, I, I you know, I think there's some something to that. I really do. I just mentioned the hypocrisy in the NFL. Um, but as the owner of this team, you need to get out there and lead. It's a really bad look for him, in my opinion. And, um, you know, 
thinking about his father, the late Al Davis, and his legacy as a pioneer when it comes to, um, you know, social justice leading the way with with the hiring of minority minority coaches and and um, the first female um, executive and Amy Trask. I, I wonder what his father would have to say about. Um, Mark's refusal to come out and 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 stand up for what you know he believes in and and say something, say something. That's that's what his job is. He's the leader. It all starts at the top and it trickles down. So uh, that's what I have to say about him. And then the last point I want to make here about uh, while, while we're on the topic, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot this week, is what does this all mean for Derek Carr? I mean, it always comes back to Derek Carr, right? <laughs> uh, but. He is the one player on the roster that Gruden was hands-on with every day in the meeting rooms, on the practice field, in the film room. We've heard many times um, that Carr is an extension of Gruden on the field, and now Gruden's gone. You know that 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 is gone. That relationship is no more. That that uh, mentorship from Gruden is gone. And you know how could that not have an effect? on Derek Carr. I know that Carr has told us on Wednesday that he feels very comfortable as Greg Olson as the coordinator, but Greg Olson is not John Gruden. Let's be honest. I mean, it, we, that's just a fact. I mean, Olson has, has, you know, never been known as a top of the line play caller. Uh, he's been more of a quarterback coach. I know he has had some years as a, a play caller, but none, none, nothing with any real, uh, sustained success. So I think it could have a great effect on Derek Carr. Now I want to play some audio for you uh, of Carr speaking about being able to focus on the task at hand, even with the distractions. Let's take a listen. Well, I've been in this situation. I think it's my fifth head coach um, in eight years. And so I do know the feelings of when it's um, a good football team and when it's not, you know, Um, and, uh, and the feelings of when it's not is kind of like a, you know, you get a lot of guys that are just coming to work, you know, just counting the days kind of a thing, right? Whereas this team, the way we came in today, it was we, everything's still out there for us. You know, we're a good football team. You know, we believe that. Um, you know, we, we need to play better, but we still believe that we can compete with anybody. You know what I mean? And so it's just a weird time. I think that's the easiest way to say it. It's, it's a weird time. Um, but I know a little bit about compartmentalizing some things, you know, my senior year, my son was having surgeries where doctor doctors are saying he might not make it. And I still had to play football games, you know, like I don't wish that for anybody. I don't, you know, I, but for whatever reason, I've just had to go through some of those things. And this is one of those things where you just got to be able to separate the two and it's weird and it's hard. And I don't know how uh, I thank the Lord that I can do it, you know, um, because I want to feel some type of way, you know, but we are a good football team and uh, we do still have everything out in front of us. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I think I think that I'm just trying to focus on what is good, you know, and what is what is what what is good for our football team. So there you heard from Derek Carr um, and some of what he had to say uh, on Wednesday. And I will say from a leadership standpoint, I think there's going to be a lot more on Carr's plate. He's always had to shoulder a large portion of that, of course, because he does play quarterback, but also because he is a natural leader. He just it comes very natural to him. 
but I think they're going to be leaning on him a lot more than ever in his previous nine seasons, especially more than he's had to, uh, uh, you know, do in the in the last four years because now that alpha male head coach is, is no longer in the picture, right? I mean, he Gruden was the guy who would take the fall for a lot of things when they were going right. That's no longer the case. Um, and I just feel that, um, you know, my opinion on this is that let's say that the top leader on the Raiders played on the defensive side of the ball. It would be a lot easier for that player to to move forward and, and continue on and do their job. But with Carr, he and Gruden work so closely together, um, you know, it, it's going to have a greater impact on a guy like Carr than it would a guy like Max Crosby. It's just the relationship is a lot deeper with Carr because they, they were working so closely together these past four years. And so I, I do wonder uh, what it means uh, for the performance of Derek Carr the remainder of the year. And, and you can't, you just cannot argue the positive impact that Gruden had on, on, on Derek Carr. And I, I know Greg Olson, he's been around Carr quite a bit over the last few years, been his coordinator at some point, but um, he's not the same guy. And, and so it will be interesting to see how things play out for Carr and, and the offense uh, the rest of the way here. And and I'm looking long-term, big picture. You know, what about beyond 2021? I mean, it's a serious question that needs to be discussed at some point. I'm not going to do it today. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to do that in the off season, but don't forget he's got one year remaining on that contract after this year. And there were some talks about an extension. You know, are they going to keep him around? Are they going to extend him? Uh, we very well could have a brand new coaching staff here next year. Would they want to continue on with a guy like Carr, depending on how things shake out here in the final twelve games? You know, we we may learn a little bit more. Um, and. Really, does Carr want to be a part of this thing going forward? Does he want to be a part of a possibly another rebuild with another coaching staff? These are all legit concerns, I think. Um, not something we have to worry about at this moment, um, but as I said, still 12 games to play. Uh, the players and coaches uh, still believe their goals can be accomplished, and they believe that everything uh, is, is still there for the taking. So we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But I am going to get to my first break. Uh, and when I return, we're going to we're gonna dive into the Broncos a little bit more. We'll take a look at the Broncos, and then we're going to be joined by our guest, Troy Rink of ABC News 7 in Denver. And we're going to get the lowdown on this weekend's opponent, the Denver Broncos. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Just Pod Baby, part of the Vegas Sports Today Podcast Network. You're listening to Just Pod Baby. Part of the Vegas Sports Today Podcast Network. Let's go! And now, back to your host, Evan Grote. And welcome back, Raider Nation. Segment 2, Just Pod Baby, previewing the Week 6 game between the Broncos and the Raiders. And I you know, I look at that Broncos team, and I tell you, I'm not really sure what type of team they are right now. They got off to a really good start, 3-0. Uh, but they really took advantage of, of of playing some bad teams. The Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets are the three wins. Combined record right now for those three teams, two and thirteen. So, um, and and then they they went on to lose to the Ravens and and a bad loss to the Steelers last week. So they're a really hard team to kind of get a read on right now. They they've had some injuries on the offensive side of the ball to the wide receivers KJ Hamler and and Jerry Judy. And I think. They were planning to be uh, a bit more explosive on that side of the ball, but they're they're only averaging 20 points a game right now. And and when I look at this game, it's obviously a really important game for both teams, and I think it will be be played that way. It's going to be played very hard. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of emotion for the Raiders, and uh, they're going to need to bring it because Denver is also desperate for a win right now, and, and they're going to try to right their ship as well. 
um, to get their season back on track. Um, so I, I do expect it to be a really hard-fought, highly contested game in Denver, and I do see the Broncos right now are the 3.5-point favorites. Uh, before we bring in our guests, I do want to take a look at the injury report. Um, I'm just going to highlight a couple. Uh, I did see Josh Jacobs was added to the report on Thursday. Did not participate with an illness, uh, so not sure what that means. And then the other two that I really wanted to point out were Quentin Jefferson and Jonathan Hankins. Hankins uh, did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. He's dealing with uh, a hip injury. And so that would be a big loss. That would be a really big loss because he is one of their best run defenders for the Raiders. And, and run defense was a big problem um, against uh, uh, in that game last week. And, and so they're going to want to get him back. And then, and then Quentin Jefferson is the other one. Uh, he was limited on... Wednesday, but was downgraded to did not practice on uh, on Thursday with a back injury. So if if those two interior linemen should be out, you know that 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 that's going to hurt. Um, so keep a close eye on Hankins and Jefferson, as well as um, uh, Josh Jacobs. And then for the Broncos, um, Melvin Gordon, he was listed on the report um, with a hip injury, did not participate on Wednesday, but he returned to practice in a limited capacity. Uh, on Thursday, safety Cream Jackson with a back injury was upgraded to uh, limited participation. And uh, another player, Mike Ford, cornerback, he did not participate, uh, did not practice for the second straight day. So those are those are the more notable three players listed for the Denver Broncos. So that is the injury report uh, for Thursday. And what I want to do now is go out to the phone line and welcome in our guest, Troy Rink, who is an insider, a Broncos insider for ABC News 7 in Denver. And Troy, it's a big week, really big game in the AFC West division for both teams. We're glad to have you here with us this week, hoping you can give us some insight into the Broncos. Thanks for your time tonight, and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Yeah, you got it. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Troy, you know, obviously there's been a lot of distractions this week for the Raiders. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've heard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know it's only week six, and there's still plenty of time left in the NFL season, but this game really feels like a big game for both the Raiders and the Broncos. I don't want to call it a must-win game, but I would say that this is a game that both teams realize what a win could mean for their seasons going forward. What's your take on that? Yeah, it feels heavy here. I, I'm not afraid to call it a must-win when you look at the Broncos' schedule. They receive a mulligan from me in losing at Pittsburgh. That's a game they should have won. You know, they lose to Baltimore at home. I just concede Baltimore's better than them, and they have a unicorn in Lamar Jackson who is playing at an MVP level right now. But they shouldn't have lost to Pittsburgh. That was a winnable game, and they were outcoached. So if you go against the Raiders and get outcoached by a team without a coach, that's an indictment of Vic Fangio and his staff, and it sets them up for the season to spiral. Because all their goals at 3-2 and two are in front of them. You lose to the Raiders, you go 3-3, three and three, then you go to Cleveland on a short week on Thursday, you fall to 3-4. and four. Now you've got to start winning games that you're not going to be favored in. And I don't think they'll be favored in any remaining road games. Uh, that includes at Cleveland, at Dallas, at Kansas City, at the Raiders, at the Chargers. Maybe the Raiders, if they have their uh, late season collapse. But Denver's terrible in Kansas City in December. So... Yeah, to me, it feels like a must-win. If you're talking about a team, which they have fashioned themselves as a contender, if you're talking about a team that's going to have a winning record and go to the playoffs, for the Broncos, this game is a must-have. And Von Miller, to his credit, didn't shy away from that today. He, I asked him about it. He said, it's a game we got to win. It's a game we've got to win, and I agree with him. Yeah, I think it should be a... 
you know, obviously it's a division rival. They're always pretty competitive and, and, and tempers can sometimes flare in these games. You might might see even a little bit more this weekend. Now the Broncos, they are three and two. They start off really well. Uh, winning their first three games, but but have since dropped their last two, much like the Raiders you mentioned to the Steelers and, and the Ravens. In your opinion, though, how much of the good start was a product of beating up on bad teams in the Giants, Jaguars, and the Jets who who have combined two and thirteen record right now? Yeah, certainly that's part of it. But they 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 deserve that schedule because they finished last place in the AFC West, so they earned that schedule and they took care of business and won those three games by double digits. And then when they had a chance at legitimacy at home against the Ravens. They got their ears boxed, and then they had a chance to make amends at Pittsburgh and fell behind 24-6, to leaving them scrambling against the Pittsburgh team that was beatable, that hadn't run the ball all year and ran all over them. It's not that the Broncos have lost two games in a row. It's how they've lost. Physically, they lost at the line of scrimmage. They took punches to the throat, and they weren't able to punch back. Now, they rallied at Pittsburgh, but it was too late. That's the problem I have with this team right now is – their expectations are they're going to be a great defense and a functional offense. Well, they're a below-average offense now the last two weeks. And defensively, they're not special. They have issues getting off the field on third down. They've had major communication issues in the secondary, which is the most high-priced secondary in the league right now. That, that's what's been weird. It's how they've lost these games. You think, okay, defense played great, but they lost a low-scoring game. No. Defense couldn't get off the field the past two weeks. They allowed 14 to 29 on third-down conversions against the Ravens and Steelers. Offense, 5 for 26 in third-down conversions the last two weeks. They've ranked near the bottom since, you know, they've got one touchdown in the first quarter. The slow starts are catching up to them. So how much is their 3-0 and start? How much was that a product of the schedule? It was. But they took care of business, so it created hope that, you know, when they get a good team, they'll be fine. And they haven't been. And until they beat a legitimate opponent, and I would classify the Raiders as that, given their record and certainly the team, they beat the Ravens, something the Broncos couldn't do. Until they beat a team with a winning record, they can't have legitimacy as a contender. And so they fashion themselves as a playoff team, as the first team to go to the playoffs since 2015 here in Denver. But to do it, you've got to start beating some good teams, and that starts Sunday against the Raiders. Yeah, you know, you were talking about the defense. So, so let's go there next. Um, you know, uh, I, I know they're ranked second right now in the league, only giving up 15 points a game. That's pretty good. But um, as you said, I know there's some concerns um, with the run defense after uh, you know giving up 147 yards on the ground to the Steelers. Um, they did give up 100 yards as well to the Ravens, but but who doesn't? The Ravens have a great run game. Um, you know, the Raiders have really struggled in that area this year. They have not been able to establish a run game. I'm sure they would like to do that this season. Do you expect to see Denver tighten up that run defense uh, th- this week against Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I expect them to do, try to defend it a little differently, maybe some run blitzes, use their linebackers a little differently. Their linebackers got out of position some. They just have lost the line of scrimmage. Now, was there some holding going on with Pittsburgh? Sure. But you gotta you got to complain about it. you got to raise the antenna with the ref and let them know. Get emotional about it to say, hey, I think I'm getting held here, and try to even the playing field a little bit because the Broncos have just seems like, to me, have been playing the victims these last two weeks and looking for excuses, not reasons. And – do I expect the Raiders to try to run? Absolutely, based on what the Steelers did. The Steelers, before that game, had run an NFL time sixty, run an NFL low 66 times. They were also averaging 55 yards a game on the, the ground. Najee Harris had that by the middle of the second quarter. He's just running over them. And some of it's bad angles, some of it's technique, but clean it up. I mean, that's the simple answer. You brag about this defense, and they're going to be top 10 in this, top 10 in that, and 
they can't get off the field on third down. And the last two weeks, physically, they've gotten basically overmatched. And I would expect them to play with a sense of urgency from the beginning because that has been really the issue. They've fallen behind 17-3 and 17-6 at half, and they're not built to rally offensively. The Raiders have you know, at least some of that dynamic nature of their offense. The Broncos, without Jerry Judy, without K.J. Hamler, they're not built to overcome you know, three-score deficits. So I would expect the Broncos to sell out to stop the run and then see if they can you know, win in the passing game. They're going to give up yards to Carr. He always, Derek Carr always plays well against the Broncos, it seems like. But they've got to stop the run first, make them one-dimensional. Yeah, well, getting off the slow starts, that sounds a lot like the Raiders. They've uh, they've fallen behind quite a bit early as well. So it'll be interesting to see who gets off to the better start this week. But uh, we are joined by Broncos insider Troy Rink joining us this week on Just Pod Baby, doing a great job, giving us some great insight uh, into the opponent this week, the uh, Denver Broncos. Um, you know, looks like Von Miller is off to a pretty good start this season uh, after not playing last year, four and a half sacks. And I see pro football focus. Uh, has him grading out really well, but I, but I'm actually a little bit curious about some of the other names on that Denver defense. You talked about a a really expensive secondary. Uh, are there some other names on that Broncos defense that Raider fans should be aware of? Um, so if you could maybe toss out a couple names for us. Well, I mean Justin Simmons is the highest paid safety or second highest now to Jamal Adams. He is an All Pro, former All Pro uh, two years ago, Pro Bowler last year, one of the best center fielders in the game. Uh, again, there's been some communication issues between he and Kareem Jackson, the strong safety. They both played well at times, but it, it just seemed like they've lacked synchronicity in playing well together. But Justin Simmons is one of the better players at his position in the league. And Bryce Callahan, their slot corner, has played really well under the radar. They get Ronald Darby back at corner this week, and that might lead to Kyle Fuller getting benched. But the guys who've played well on that defense, it starts with Von Miller. And Malik Reed, who's filling in for Bradley Chubb, has made a nice impact. Up front, they have Draymond Jones, a promising young player who feels like he's ready for a breakout game in the middle of the field. And Callahan at shot, Bryce Callahan at slot corner, he's played at a Pro Bowl level for me. They just haven't put it all together. The, the one thing missing uh, when Raiders fans look at this defense, they've been, they're not allowing a lot of points. and they, they aren't, but they haven't been able to produce takeaways. And that's been the issue with Vic Fangio's defense. These last couple of years, he had 33 takeaways in two years, his first two with the Broncos. He had 36 his last season with the Bears. And this year, they're right around one takeaway a game. That's not going to do it. With their offense, the way they're averaging 20 points a game, which if you don't average 25, you're really not a playoff team. But nonetheless, until their offense gets to 25 points a game, it's going to be very difficult for them to beat good teams without two takeaways. But the best players on their defense, it starts with future Hall of Famer Von Miller, and it goes to Justin Simmons in terms of the marquee names. Yeah, I want to jump over to offense. You're talk, You mentioned that uh, you know they're they're struggling to put up some points right now, only 20 points a game. You know, going into the season, when I looked at this Broncos offense, they seemed like they were pretty loaded with skill players, but they've had to deal with some injuries. They lost KJ Hamler for the year, and Jerry Judy still remains out with that high ankle sprain. How has Teddy Bridgewater been able to to kind of manage the loss of those two dynamic players? Well, he's played well overall. If you look at the totality of his first five games, really four and a half because he got knocked out with a concussion at halftime of the Ravens game. He's on pace for 4,000-plus yards, 24 touchdowns, three picks. You take that if you're a Broncos fan. I mean, they've had a one-to-one touchdown-to-pick ratio the last several years. They've led the world in, take, in giveaways from the quarterback position, and they had the lowest completion percentage last year. So he's completing almost 70% of his passes. He's doing a lot of good things. 
you know, could he go down the field more? He could. He's done that, though. He showed that against Jacksonville, a willingness to do it. He's adapted, but when they're not balanced, Teddy isn't – that isn't his strength to just take over a game and throw 45 times to beat you. Not a lot of quarterbacks can, but that doesn't feed into his game. I do think with – Judy will be back hopefully in a couple weeks, but until then they need to involve their running backs more in the passing game with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. And Noah Fan has got to become more involved. To me, he's a top five tight end in the league, but he becomes ghost in certain games based on their game plan. And they used him as a blocking, chipping tight end last week at Pittsburgh, and, and he's not a blocking tight end. I mean, you wouldn't do that with Darren Waller. Now, he's not Darren Waller, but the, my point is he should be in the passing game with Jerry Judy out. And that's something they can't lose sight of, that with Teddy – use all the weapons and involve the backs more, involve the tight ends. But he's shown a good connection with Cortland Sutton. He's had a couple of hundred yard games already. Tim Patrick's a trust, trusted wide receiver, but they do miss Judy, his ability to just win a one-on-one because of his uh, dynamic. And I've said this, I mean, he's better in space than NASA. He creates space that's <laughs> different from any receiver they have on their roster. So they miss he and Hamler and Hamler had the ability to take the top off the defense. So at times you see defenses cheating up on Bridgewater now, giving him the you know the four yarder underneath, and Teddy's the one who's going to throw up four, and you got to get the extra three for the first down, and they just have not been able to do that the last two weeks. They've lived in third and long, and that's not Teddy's game. Teddy's game is third and four, and then the field opens up to him. But third and eight, which has been their average down and distance the last few weeks, that is not his strength. Yeah, great stuff there. And, uh, and before I let you run, um, you know, I was looking at the injury report, and I, and I, I see Melvin Gordon uh, is listed there with a hip injury. He, he didn't practice on Wednesday, was limited on, on Thursday, so not sure what the status will be for him on Sunday. But if he should miss time or even be limited in the game, uh, you mentioned uh, a nice little rookie they drafted, Javante Williams. Uh do you think he could see a larger role this week? And, and what have you seen from him that would give you some confidence that he's ready to take on that larger role should he have to this week? Yeah, I mean, he runs like the old Batman movie. Boom, pow, bang. I mean, he just runs over guys. He's He is a human bowling ball. He's going to continue to get more carries, and eventually he'll probably win the job. Right now it's almost been split 50-50 between the two of them. Melvin Gordon will play this week. It's more maintenance as a veteran. They did this last week as well. But if he starts to show he's compromised, it's going to lead to more carries to Javante Williams. Javante's been really good, but at times he shows his youth. He had this great 49-yard run last week against Pittsburgh, and he jumped up and spiked the ball, which you think, no big deal. Well, it led to a delay of game penalty. So instead of first down at the two-yard line, it was first at the seven. And then on the next play, he missed his block and tried to block the guy that was on the left tackle, and Teddy Bridgewater got sacked. So an ideal scoring opportunity that probably makes the game 10 to 10, they have to settle for a field goal. So that's some of it is the growing pains, but he is going to be special. He is the future of the running back position for the Broncos. Gordon will be a free agent after this year, but they still need Melvin. And I've said this, I don't know why they don't use Gordon more in the passing game. He averaged 50 pass, 50 catches a year for the previous three years before joining the Broncos. He comes here and he gets 20, 25. It's just, they have not been able to, under Pat Shermer, find a way to successfully use their running backs in the passing game, and both Javante Williams and Gordon are capable. But to answer your question, it is going to get to a point where they're going to play the hot hand. And Javante Williams has given them, he's caffeinated this offense at times, and I do think you're going to see 
that 50-50 split eventually start going to the guy who's just playing the best, and they're not going to keep that rotation. All right, great, great rundown there uh, from Troy Rink, ABC News 7 in Denver, Broncos Insider. Thanks again for your time and insight this evening. We really appreciate it. Take care and, and enjoy the game on Sunday. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Okay, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Troy Rink, Broncos Insider. You heard him talk about the struggles on third down for both the offense and defense. I tweeted about that today. I think that could be one of the keys to the game. And the other big takeaway from the conversation was what he said about Von Miller's comments about you know not shying away from calling this a must-win game from them. Miller is pretty adamant. I've, and in fact, I was reading some of the comments online this evening. He he, he this is a huge calling this a huge game. Uh, he's saying they absolutely need to win this game. So I, I just hope that, that that there's that same sense of urgency uh, inside that Raiders locker room. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's episode, Just Pod Baby. Uh, thank you guys all again for tuning in. I'm hoping that the Raiders can get a much-needed win this week and, and try to begin moving past all the, the drama and the distraction uh, left behind. Uh, in the wake of, of John Gruden and the resignation, uh, this team needs to get back to football and, and they need to begin the healing process. It all starts this week in Denver and it's a big game and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next week, of course, when we get together again next week for Just Pod Baby. But uh, until then, I am your host, Evan Grote. And as always, just win, baby.